Good morning. That was about half of you. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here with you this morning. My name, as you already know, is Jason Sliger. And um, <clears throat> Advent Hope for me is one of those places that I hear a lot about, but unfortunately haven't been able to come and visit you guys uh, very often. I think I may have come once before, uh, but it's a privilege to be with you here. And I want to thank the organizers of Advent Hope for the invitation uh, to come and share with you uh, from the Word of God. Um, you already know I work for Amazing Facts. I've been working with them for about six years doing Bible prophecy seminars. And unfortunately, uh, the better half of my family, my wife, was unable to uh, make it with me this weekend. Um, she had some other things that she had to take care of, and so I had to come out on my own. But she wanted me to make sure that I sent my best regards to the folks at Advent Hope. We really appreciate what you guys are doing here. And Audioverse and the uh, sermons that you guys record here have been a great source of inspiration for me uh, and my wife as we travel on the road hearing good, biblically solid, solidly based sermons off of the Word of God. Uh, it's just been a real blessing uh, to be part of that ministry from a distance. I thought, uh, before I shared with you just a, a brief thought this morning, I thought I would share with you a little story that happened in the field this past year. Um, as I already mentioned, Amazing Facts, I've been working with them for about six years, and it's just a tremendous privilege to work with such a high-caliber ministry uh, doing Bible prophecy seminars uh, with these great guys uh, that uh, are out there pounding the pavement, sharing the Word of God, and uh, bringing people to the point of decision. Uh, this year has been full of a lot of great experiences, and as I thought about what story to share, it was really kind of tough because there were so many good uh, experiences that happened this year. Uh, but I decided to share with you one that came from Springdale, uh, Arkansas. I was there earlier this year, <clears throat> and before the meetings began, uh, we have what we call an organizational meeting, where we meet with the church and the church members and kind of organize ourselves before opening night. And at the organizational meeting, there was a church member who came up to us and asked for a special prayer request that her sister and her sister's boyfriend would make the decision to come to the meetings. So obviously we made this a matter of prayer and we spent some time that night praying for this uh, young lady and her boyfriend. And opening night, as we were standing there greeting people as they were coming in, they were registering and all that stuff, uh, this young lady came up to the pastor and I and she said, my sister is here. Does God answer prayers? Now, her sister was, you know, familiar with the church. She had come to the Adventist church before, but had a series of really challenging events that happened in her life and kind of had hardened her heart towards God. But there she was in the seminar opening night. And when she was pointed out to me, I could tell just by looking at her that she was a deeply troubled young lady. And her uh, boyfriend that was with her was as well very troubled. Uh, opening night, I preached the message. <clears throat> And as I looked over at them when I was preaching, I could tell that they were really struggling. And so I made it a matter of prayer throughout the course of that meeting to pray for Amy and her boyfriend, Brandon. About halfway through the meetings, I was going through some decision, ca decision cards, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I saw a decision there from Brandon and Amy that they would like to be baptized. Amen. The pastor and I met with Amy and Brandon they were living together and they were not married. And so we met with them and we talked with them about their decision to uh, be uh, baptized and become part of God's family. And we encouraged them to make right this particular point in their life of living together outside of marriage. They said, Pastor, we understand that this is what we need to do. And at the end of that seminar, 
Brandon and Amy got married on Friday night, and on Sabbath morning, they were married to Christ. And I want to tell you, from, from my perspective as the presenter, I, could notice, I noticed a stark change in their lives. From that first night when they walked in, that very troubled and furrowed brow that they had, very weighed down with the weight of sin in their life. By the end of that seminar, as they heard the Word of God preached four nights a week for four weeks, 24 presentations, their life was deeply changed. And I can tell you to this day that Amy is a completely different, person because of her hearing the Word of God. <clears throat> Maybe tonight I can share with you a few other stories when I uh, give you my second message at uh, 4 o'clock. But God is doing a work out in the field, changing lives of people as they come to Bible Prophecy Seminars. By the way, have any of you ever been to the Amazing Facts Bible Prophecy Seminar? Uh, there's a few of you. The rest of you, shame on you. You need to go to Amazing Facts Seminar. <laughs> I know there's not very many out in this area, but if you ever get a chance to go to one, you should go. It is a tremendously uh, a blessed experience. This morning, I want to share with you something from the Word of God. Um, it is a Sabbath school, and so we're going to spend some time studying the Bible just briefly this morning. And what I'm going to share with you is something that, for me, has personally touched my life. So just understand that as I present the short message this morning that I'm really preaching to myself. Over the past week and uh, months that I've been studying this chapter, God has been pointing out different areas in my life personally that needed to be changed. Now, I know that's kind of a cliche with a lot of speakers to kind of soften the blow, but this is definitely true in my case. As I've studied this chapter of the Bible, it has definitely spoken very deeply to my heart. So before we begin this morning, I'm going to invite you, if you wouldn't mind to just bow your heads with me this morning as we begin with a brief word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have brought us together here in this building this morning to study your word. And Father, we are thankful for the Sabbath day of rest that you have entrusted to each one of us. And Father, this morning I pray that we can push aside the busyness of our life and all of the things that took place this past week, and that this morning we can sit here in your presence. Lord, we invite your Spirit to be with us here this morning and to teach us and guide us as we look at your Word. Thank you, Father, for blessing us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to go with me to the book of 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 15, and it's nice to hear all of those Bible pages rustling. First Samuel chapter 15. And this morning what I'm going to share with you is probably not new. It's not going to be new to any of you here for the most part, I'm sure. But perhaps it might be a little bit of a reminder for some of us. This morning we're going to look at the irrational thoughts of an unrepentant sinner. The irrational thoughts of an unrepentant sinner. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we find here a story uh, that is written about the first king of Israel, Saul. And at this point in uh, 1 Samuel 15, he has been king for quite some time. He has be become a very success successful uh, general, fighting many wars and winning them. And here Samuel comes to 
Saul in 1 Samuel 15 and tells him something from the Lord. Verse 1, And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the, word, uh, unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both men and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. The Amalekites were enemies of God. They were descendants of, the, of Esau and were the first ones to make war with God's people when they left Egypt on their way to the Promised Land. The Bible records that as the children of Israel were on their way to Canaan, the, uh, the Amalekites came up behind them and destroyed many of the children and the women and the elderly folks and the slower-moving animals. They kind of snuck up behind them and destroyed many of, those, uh, many of the uh, children of Israel. And because of that, God had cursed them and, and, and had made the decision. He told Moses, and later on Saul was to carry this out, but he told Moses that the Amalekites were to be completely destroyed. In fact, the Bible here uses the word utterly destroyed, which simply in the Hebrew means to exterminate. They were to be completely and utterly obliterated because they were enemies of God. Now, from the time that this first war had taken place with the children of Israel to the present, it was somewhere around 400 years of probationary time that God had given to the Amalekites, but yet they were still defiant of the Israelites and defiant of God and his people. And so here Samuel comes to Saul and he says, Saul, God is going to use you to exterminate, exterminate the Amalekites, to completely destroy them. And and so Saul is given this decree to destroy everything that they have. Now, let me just ask you a simple question here this morning. The command that was given to Saul from Samuel, was it a complicated command, yes or no? No. It was very black and white. Destroy how much? Everything. There was no, it was no complicated command here, utterly destroy all that they have. So it was a very simple command that was given uh, by Samuel to Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Now let's continue reading this story here and see what else we find unfolding. You've probably read the story before, but let's go ahead and look at it again. Go down with me if you would to verse 7. Verse 7, the Bible says, And Saul smote the Amalekites. And verse 8, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatling, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Question, did Saul obey God's command, yes or no? No. Now, I think for most of us here this morning, it's pretty obvious when you look at this Bible passage, you know, we look at these Old Testament stories, and sometimes we think to ourselves, what were they thinking? I mean, it's so obvious here that Saul disobeyed God's command. God's command was destroy everything. Saul comes back from war, he brings King Agag with him, and he brings the best of the animals back with him from war. Now, this was a customary thing to do back in this time. If you went and fought a battle, you would bring back 
back the spoils of war. You would bring back sometimes the king of the nation that you conquered as like a trophy to show everybody I was the conquering general. I was the, we were the conquering nation. But this particular custom was not in line with God's command. And we, so we find here a uh, disobedient king that has disobeyed God's command. Now go down with me to verse 12. Now, uh, in verses 10 and 11, the Lord has a conversation with Samuel and tells him what Saul has done. And in verse 12, it says, And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set him up a place. Now, in the Hebrew, the word place there could also mean a monument. In fact, other translations will translate it that way, that Saul set up a monument to himself. He set up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. So now we find that not only is Saul disobedient against God's command, but now he is kind of priding himself in the fact of what he has just done. In fact, inspiration tells us, Ellen White tells us, that this was one of the best uh, successes that Saul had ever had in his career as a general. I mean, he just had complete and utter victory. And he's coming back riding high, and he sets up this monument as a way of telling other people that I have done very well. Now, in the next verse, Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, comes to Saul, and we find this. The Bible says this in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Yes or no? So we find that Saul is disobedient. Then he goes and he, he is, he's prideful in his disobedience by setting up a memorial or a monument to himself. And then when he sees the servant of the Lord, when he sees Samuel, he says to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul now thinks that he has obeyed God when in reality he has what? Verse 14, And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So, so now Samuel says, Hang on a second, Saul. If you have performed the commandment of the Lord, why is it that I hear you bringing back animals from war when God said to utterly destroy everything? And now Saul has to kind of backpedal a little bit here, and he says, well, they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord. And I wonder to myself this morning that how many times we have a similar experience that Saul is having here in this story where we make excuses for the wrongs that God points out in our lives. Are you all with me here this morning? Saul here makes an excuse and he points to the people, the children of Israel, and he says they were the ones that did it, but they did it only because Saul said that it was okay. 
Now, now let me just continue reading the story here because I want you to get a full view of what's going on in this chapter. Go down with me a few verses to verse 18. It says this, Samuel is talking here. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Samuel said to Saul, or sorry, Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And have gone the way which the Lord hath sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the uh, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You know, when I read this story, I think to myself, what was Saul thinking? I mean, he pointed at something that disproved that he, or proved rather, that he was disobedient. He points to King Agag as evidence to Samuel that he had performed the commandment of the Lord. Are you all following me here this morning? Now, when I read this chapter, I thought to myself, what is Saul thinking? So Samuel says to Saul, listen, you, he makes it black and white. You know, this subtle remark that he said, why do I hear this noise of animal? Kind of reminding Saul that he had disobeyed. That subtle remark wasn't enough. And so he blatantly says to Saul, you have disobeyed. But Saul persists and he says, no, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, now here's where things get interesting. Go down to verse 22. It says this, and Samuel, this is, I mean, these are historic words. You'll hear many preachers use this verse. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold to what? Obey is better than sacrifice, the Bible says, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as, uh, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou, listen to what he has, says here, because thou has rejected, what did he do? Rejected the word of the Lord, the Bible says that God hath rejected him from being what? Ooh. Now, this was not the first time that Saul took things into his own hands. Go back a few chapters and you'll find a story there where Saul actually uh, performed a sacrifice when that wasn't his job to do. It was actually the job of, uh, of, of Samuel to do it, but he got tired of waiting on Samuel, and so he took the situation into his own hands. This was something that Samuel was, uh, or Saul was accustomed to doing, taking the situation into his own hands. And so now Samuel says, listen, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And listen to what Saul says in the next verse, verse 24. It says this, and Saul said unto Samuel, I have what? Sin. I find it interesting that he acknowledges that he has sinned after the sentence has been pronounced. Inspiration tells us, signs of the time, August 31 of 1882, it was not sorrow for sin, but fear of its penalty that actuated the king of Israel as he entreated Samuel, I pray thee, pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Was Saul really sorry? Yes or no? He wasn't sorry. Inspiration tells us that he wasn't sorry. In fact, let's just continue reading this verse here, verse 24. Listen to what he says. It says, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. And listen to what he says here. Because I what? feared the Lord. So he says, yes, or sorry, I feared the people. He says, yes, I have sinned, but 
I did it because I feared the people. So even in that confession that he had sinned, that he had sinned, he still blames the people for bringing the animals back. And the reality of it is this, friends. He didn't fear the people. When you look at Saul's experience as a general, he made commands and the people did exactly what Saul told them to do. You find that in, in just the last chapter, chapter 14, where Saul says, you know, all of these, you know, uh, 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 soldiers that are in battle, he commands them to, to not eat, to have a fast in the middle of the war. He's being very pious in this decree of a fast in the middle of a battle. And none of them eat except for his son. And uh, that's a very interesting story if you want to go back and read it. But nonetheless, the people obeyed what Saul said in chapter 14. Why wouldn't they have obeyed in chapter 15 if Saul told them, to not bring the animals back. Are you all with me here this morning? You see, Saul's repentance is not genuine. In fact, notice what it says in verse 30. Go down to verse 30. It says this. Saul is is still talking here. He says this. And he said, I have sinned. So he confesses again. I have sinned, yet what? Honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So he says, yes, I have sinned, but honor me. Let me tell you something this morning, friends. There is no honor in sin. Amen? Amen. You see, Saul didn't want to acknowledge the fact that he was a true sinner. He wanted to cast the blame on somebody else. And I find it very interesting that whenever sin is pointed out in our lives, we always have an excuse. But whenever somebody points out something good in our lives, we always like to take the credit. Isn't that right? You know, we, we, we like to say, well, you know, I did it because of such and such or because of so and so or because of this circumstance or because of that. Circumstance. We always have an excuse. And I wonder to myself, am I having a Saul experience in my life more than I would like to confess? I would suggest to you this morning that the situation of Saul or the experience of Saul is probably the experience of God's people more than it should be. And I wonder to myself, is it possible for me to get to the point in my relationship with God or lack of relationship with God, is it possible for me to get to a point where I think that I am obeying Him when in reality I am disobeying Him? Are you all with me here? Is it possible for me, you know, sometimes we look at these Old Testament stories and we kind of, you know, we kind of look at them from a distance and we say, come on, Saul, what were you thinking? How could, how could you say you obeyed when it is obvious that you have disobeyed? Sometimes we kind of remove ourselves from these stories. But I like to take these stories and put myself in that situation and ask myself the question, am I sometimes a Saul? Not only do I make excuses for the wrongs in my life, but is it possible for me to get to the point where I think I'm obeying God, but in reality, deep down inside, I am disobeying the simplest of His commands. And friends, I think sometimes it would be good for us to kind of search our hearts a little bit and see where we are at in terms of our relationship with God. What happens when sin is pointed out in our lives? Do we have a Saul attitude where we try to find an excuse for the wrongs in our life? Or, 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 or when these wrongs are pointed out, do we come to God and humble ourselves and say, God, please forgive me for what I have done? 
I want to share with you just a few quick points here in this story that have applied specifically to me in my own personal relationship with God and in my study of this chapter. I'm going to invite you to go up with me just a few verses to verse 13 and 14 and 15. We read it already, but I want to read it once again. As I was meditating on this chapter, these were some thoughts that came to me. 1 Samuel 15, verse 13, it says again, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And a lowing of oxen, which I hear. And Samuel said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. You know, to be honest with you this morning, it didn't matter what Saul said. What mattered is what Samuel saw. Right? It didn't matter what Saul said. I mean, Saul could have said whatever he wanted to say. I mean, in this particular, in the, it's recorded that he said, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. But what really mattered is what Samuel saw. And when Samuel looked at Saul, what did he see? He saw the animals coming back from war. Perhaps he saw King Agag standing there having been brought back as a trophy from this war. It didn't matter what Saul said, but what mattered is what Samuel saw. And I wondered to myself, as I looked at the story, I thought to myself, could it be the same in my own personal life where sometimes there is this disconnect between what I say and what I do? Could there be this disconnect between what I say and what I do? Was there a disconnect with, with Saul? Sure there was. I mean, he said, I obeyed the commandment of the Lord, but the sounds of the animals betrayed that very statement. And friends, I'm sorry to say that sometimes in my own personal life, the actions in my life betray the words in my mouth. And I think if we were all honest with ourselves, that at one point in our life, we've had a similar experience. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, the Bible says, here are they that keep... The commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we know that that particular verse is an identifying mark for one. God's church. That's right. Revelation chapter 12, you find the, the characteristics of God's people there. Many characteristics of God's people. And the remnant of the church's seed are described. The last day group of people before Jesus comes back to take us home. In the Bible, they are described as a commandment keeping people. Friends, this morning when you say, I am a Seventh-day Adventist, and I think probably most of us here this morning would probably accept that uh, title, that we are Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? Amen. Seventh-day Adventist. When we accept that title, that I am a Seventh-day Adventist, we are identifying ourselves with a group of people that the Bible describes as a commandment keeping people. But the question this morning is this, are the actions in my life reflecting the words that are coming out of my mouth? I remember when I was younger, back in high school, in my, what I tell people, my BC days before Christ, 
before I gave my heart to the Lord. Now, I was raised in the Adventist church. My mother became an Adventist through evangelism, and that's probably one of the reasons why I uh, have a heart for evangelism. My mom became an Adventist when I was five after being in the Baptist church for many years. So I was raised in this church, and, and in those, you know, those rough adolescent years, 15, 16 years old, I, I went through a stormy patch in my life where I was starting to think for myself and trying to, you know, find my way in the world. And I remember going to a Christian boarding academy and thinking to myself in this, my BC days, thinking to myself, if that is Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Have you ever had a similar experience? Because you hear one thing and you see another. Now, I'm not condoning this way of thinking, but nonetheless, it is still a problem that we find in our church. In fact, as an evangelist, I think I have a unique perspective because I talk to a lot of Adventists and non-Adventists alike. And I find that a lot of times people get discouraged or leave the church or leave Christianity because of the disconnect between what people see and what people do, or what people say, rather, and what people do. And I remember God, you know, in the stillness of, of his voice coming to me and saying, Jason, you've got to stop looking at people and start looking at me. And when I took my eyes off of men, you know, men will always fail you. But when I took my eyes off of men and I started looking at the perfect and beautiful character of Jesus, I, find, I found there a perfect example that God was asking me to emulate in my own life. The question this morning is this. When you say, I am a Seventh-day Adventist, do the actions in your life say the same exact thing? Are you following me here? He said, Listen, friends, it's not enough to just go to church on Sabbath morning to, to say that you are a Seventh-day Adventist. It's not just enough to have the, you know, red books on your bookshelf to say that you are a Seventh-day Adventist. It's not just enough to have the right diet to say that you are a Seventh-day Adventist or to avoid different types of, uh, you know, uh, entertainment or whatever it may be. That's not being a Seventh-day Adventist. Being a Seventh-day Adventist is being a people of the book and allowing the Word of God to so change your life, not just intellectually, but also in the way that you live your life. And unfortunately, Saul was not having that experience. And so he had a form of godliness, but he was de de denying the power thereof. How is it in your life this morning? When people look at you, do they see what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist? You've heard the old statement before, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I mean, we've heard that I don't know how many times. And as I was studying this chapter, again, I'm telling you this morning, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. As I was studying this chapter and I was sitting there in my study, looking at this, this chapter and saying, God, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to say about this chapter? God said, listen, Jason, it's not what I want you to say, but it's what I want you to change in your life from what this story is telling me. And as I read that story, I thought to myself, Lord, when people look at me, do they see what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist? That's what I want. I want people to look at me and say, that's what I want. I want the experience that Jason has. And I believe that that can take place. Now, I want you to go, down, uh, go, to, go with me to 2 Samuel. We're going to make another point here, and then I'm going to wrap things up and uh, draw it to a close. 2 Samuel. Chapter 12. I want to make a quick contrast here. We've looked at Saul. We've looked at his insincere confession of his sin. Uh, I have sinned because I feared the people. I have sinned, yet honor me now. Uh, we've looked at inspiration where the servant of the Lord tells us that it was not a sorrow for sin, but fear of its penalties. And I want to contrast this now with the story of David. 
The Bible says David is a man after God's own heart, but yet we know that David did a lot of things wrong. And here in 1 Samuel chapter, or 2 Samuel chapter 12, we find uh, the story of Nathan the prophet coming to David and telling him this story about a man who had a sheep. And uh, this little uh, sheep was very much uh, a close friend of his. In fact, it was like a daughter to him. And this, you know, rich man who had a lot of flocks had a friend who came and visited him. And he took that man's one little lamb and he dressed it, he killed it, and he gave it to his friend uh, for a meal. And David gets indignant and he tells, the, he tells Nathan that that wealthy man must restore to the poor man fourfold. And then Nathan kind of brings the hammer down in verse 7 and he says this. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of it. You could hear a penny drop there, couldn't you? <laughs> Thou art the man. Uh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul and gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wife into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And then listen to what David says in verse 13. And David said to Nathan, what does he say there in the next three words? I have sinned. If you want an interesting study, just punch that into your Bible software. I have sinned. I think it's used like 16 times in the Bible. And you can look at the different people who have said that statement and what type of confession they had here. David said, I have sinned. And then, and then Nathan says to him, Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Listen to when David says, I have sinned. He didn't come up with any excuse here. In fact, when you look at Psalms chapter 51, we know that that's the psalm of repentance that David prayed, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And in that chapter, David says, against thee and thee only have I what? Well, I mean, David, when he repented of this terrible sin of not only committing adultery, but also murdering somebody, his repentance was a genuine repentance that he had or a, a sorrow for the sin that he had committed. In fact, I found this interesting quote, and I didn't even know that this was an issue until I read this in Patriarchs and Prophets. This is page 726. It says this, many have murmured at what they call God's injustice. Can you imagine calling God unjust? Many have murmured at what they call God's injustice in sparing David whose guilt was so great after having rejected Saul for what appeared to them to be far less flagrant of sins. But, listen to what she says here, but David humbled himself. What did David do? David humbled himself and confessed his sin. Well, Saul despised reproof. What did Saul do? Despised reproof and hardened his heart in impenitence. You see, friends, it's not so much the sin that is committed, but it's the sincerity of the confession that is made. Are you with me? Yes, Saul's, or David's sin was, in, in our eyes, much worse than what Saul had done. 
But when David committed that terrible sin, he had a genuine uh, 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 sorrow for that sin in his repentance. She says he humbled himself before God. But when, when Saul's sins were pointed out, he hardened his heart. When the sins were pointed out, the wrongs in his life, he came up with excuses for why it was okay for him to do what it was that he had done. And the question that I want to leave you with this morning as we kind of close this, this, this little study, the question is this, when sins are pointed out in your life, are you a Saul or are you a David? When God convicts you of sin in your conscience, are you a Saul or are you a David? When God uses the mouthpiece of his ministers or maybe it may be a religious friend or family member who points out some wrong in your life, are you a David or are you a Saul? When you read the word of the Lord in the early hours of the morning before you rush off to school or to work and God reveals some fault in your character, are you a Saul or are you a David? And this morning, friends, my desire, my deep desire, after I read this story and made these comparisons and did this study, my deep prayer was, God, please help me to be a David. Lord, please help me when sin is pointed out in my life to say against thee and thee only have I sinned. To say, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then I hear the voice of God. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. You like that promise, don't you? But friends, that promise is only for those who humble themselves before God in true repentance of their sins. This morning, when sin is pointed out in your life, are you a Saul or are you a David? When God is trying to steer you in the right direction of that straight and narrow path, when God reproves you, do you respond humbly or do you harden your hearts? You know, sometimes some of us say, well, you know, I'm not hardening my heart. I'm just saying, God, you know, right now is not the most convenient time for me to do this. I know, we've probably all said that at one point. Right now is just not a convenient. Maybe we don't say it in those words, but the way we respond to that truth is saying that very thing. I remember I was doing a meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio. The first meeting I ever did, it was with ASI Youth for Jesus. And I presented these messages for the very first time. And night by night, there was a man who came into the meetings. His name was Emmanuel. He couldn't see a single thing. He was blind. And I remember each evening as I stood before the congregation, I would see Emmanuel walk in leaning very heavily on the shoulder of his grandson. And they would come and they would sit on my right-hand side, the second row, every night. And Emmanuel was one of these types of guys that you just like to be around because he was always happy. He always had a smile on his face. You know, he's always praising the Lord. And Emmanuel was, you know, whenever I would preach and I would get discouraged by, you know, maybe some of the looks that I was getting from other people, I would look over at Emmanuel and I would be encouraged. <laughs> and each night as Emmanuel would leave, he would shake my arm off of my, you know, body and just thanking me, minister, oh, that message is so powerful. And it was just, I mean, it was just a really joyful experience. At the end of the meetings, I was visiting with Emmanuel. And, you know, Emmanuel was a, he had a Pentecostal background. And he had learned a lot during the meetings. 
And as we sat there in his home, he said, he said, preacher, thank you so much for what you have shared with me. He said, I believe everything that you have taught is from the word of God. He said, I have been convicted in my life of the sins that I have, that I have. My, 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 my failure to follow what the word of God says. Thank you, preacher. And as I was sitting there, I felt impressed to ask Emmanuel a question. I asked him this. I said, Emmanuel, what are you going to do with what you learned? What are you going to do with what you've learned? And that big smile on his face kind of went down a little bit. And he kind of looked in the opposite direction. I mean, he couldn't see anything. He was blind, but he kind of turned his head away from me. And just it was quiet in there for a moment. I was praying, saying, God, please help him. He came back, he turned his head in my direction, and he said, Jason, I believe what you said is true. And my heart has been convicted of the wrongs in my life. But he said, Jason, I want to apply this truth in my life, but right now it's not convenient. He said, Jason, I'm a man of my word. You know, people tell me this all the time. Oh, a man of my word. And they let that statement, I'm a man of my word, to override the word of God. He said, Jason, I'm a man of my word. And I've given my word that I'm going to do X, Y, Z things with my church and with my church family. And once I have fulfilled my obligation with them, then I'll make the change in my life. And I looked at him and I said, I wish he could have seen my face because I was as sincere as I possibly could be. My heart ached for him. I mean, he was a friend of mine. I looked over at him and I said, Emmanuel, I fear for you. He said, why is that? Why is that? I said, I fear that you will never make the change. Because tomorrow never comes. And to this day, Emmanuel has done nothing with that truth. It's not over for him, though. I still pray for him because he has those seeds of truth in his life. Amen? And one day God can bring that strong conviction on him like he had in the Bible prophecy seminar. And I pray that one day walking down the streets of gold, I will be able to see Emmanuel and that he'll be able to see me. And he'll be able to say, thank you, preacher, for faithfully bearing the message of God's word and showing me what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. This morning, friends, the question is this. When God wants to reveal in your life his will. Do you humble yourself and say, God, wherever you want me to go, that's where I will go. Whatever you want me to say, that's what I will say. Whatever you want me to remove out of my life, I will remove it. Or do you harden your heart as Saul did and say, I know what's best. Listen to me carefully, friends. You all know this already, but we don't have much time here on this earth. Time is coming to a fast close. And although we need to be planning for, you know, living here for a while, we need to be living as though this is our last day on earth. And God is looking for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. He's looking for a group of people who have experienced the overcoming of sin in their life so that he can welcome them into the kingdom of heaven and say, please eat of the tree of life. He wants you to be there. And when he sends his spirit to show you the sins in your life, he is only doing that because he loves you and wants you to be in the kingdom of God. 
And this morning, friends, I pray that each one of us will do everything within our human power to bring our lives in line with what the Word of God says. Is that your desire this morning? Is your desire to say, God, please help me to have a character like David, to humble myself before you and to bring my life in line with your word. Is that your desire this morning? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for these Old Testament stories and what they mean to us. And Father, we thank you for the invitation of calling us up higher and to expel the sins in our life, to get rid of them. And Lord, this morning, it's hard. We're not going to deny that. But we know that with God, all things are possible. And Lord, you know where we are at in our experience with you and where you want us to be. And Father, I pray that over this next week, that you will continue to impress our hearts with the things that we need to change in our lives. That, Father, you will help us to take the decision that we have made this morning to be a David, that we will take it with us out of this auditorium and into our lives this next week. Help us, Father, to be men and women after God's own heart. We thank you for this time that we could spend together. May you bless the rest of our Sabbath day, I pray. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen.